0: Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman.
1: And I'm Grace Atwood.
0: And it's just us today.
1: It is, and we're talking about work.
0: Yeah, we haven't talked about work in a while. I feel like at the beginning of COVID, we were like, oh, it's too heavy. People don't want to hear about that. People want light content. But now that we're six months in, we're like, oh, yeah, we still have jobs. We do. But before we get into today's episode, this
1: episode is sponsored by Bon Viv. You know how much we love seltzer, and the only thing better than seltzer is spiked seltzer. Bon Viv is refreshing and delicious
0: with zero sugar. Today's episode is also brought to you by Knight, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow and now our favorite face mask. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode, but if you want to take 20% off your order, you can use code BOP20 at discoverknight.com.
1: All right, before we do careers, let's talk about careers. It's work. It's not, it's just a, this episode is not a career. I don't know what it's this both. episode is. It's work. It's working
0: careers. Career is just work in the long term. Yes, exactly.
1: By the way, we're going to do two episodes about this because you guys had so many questions. Oh
0: my God. I put the call out for questions on my DMs and I was shocked how many how many questions there were. So I feel like this is very top of mind for everyone right now.
1: So we've got Grossi Pelosi coming next week, but the week after that, we're doing more career.
0: Yeah, Gross on Paper, the collaboration that this world wants and needs, and I'm intent to give to them.
1: Yes, we're very excited to have him over.
0: Let's do some highs and lows. Let's do it. What's your high? Okay. So as my update from last week, my high that I couldn't share because it was a secret, but not my secret. Is that Rachel, who is my business partner for Romcom Pods, is moving to New York and I'm so excited. She lives in LA right now and she very impulsively decided that she's going to move to New York and she rented an apartment that's 3 blocks from ours and I'm so 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 excited. It's crazy. I can't believe she's moving in the middle of all this, but I'm glad she is. I'm stoked. That was my high from last week that I couldn't tell you because she needed to tell All of her friends in LA before I could before I I didn't want to spoil the news. And my other high. So my birthday was this week. My birthday was September first, and I'm not really a birthday person, but I'm a birthday person. You're a birthday person. I love
1: birthdays.
0: Um, Grace, well, first of all, made my birthday so special, but she did. If you follow either of us on Instagram, you saw that she did the most like unhinged display of friendship I've ever seen. She got a shirt made and a mask, a matching shirt and mask, with my face all over them. Mm-hmm. And she brought me coffee in the morning wearing this. And I wasn't home. But then I came. I was on a walk. But then I came to get it. And she opened the door. And she was wearing this shirt and this mask. And I was so shocked. It was so hilarious. Your face was so funny. I did not know what to expect, but it certainly wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you went out. We We went out to dinner just to like a neighborhood spot. And Grace like styled this T-shirt with a Chanel belt. Not a belt. It's a brooch. I belted it with the brooch. Yeah, a Chanel brooch and like a slip dress. And she wore this in public. It was so funny. <laughs> And we were like trying to get a, a picture of the two of us together at the restaurant
1: and the rest, the waiter was not having it. He was like, you, need to, you need to sit.
0: We're like, we're in this like back courtyard. There's no one around. Like,
1: yeah, he was not having it. They weren't, they were not impressed
0: by my outfit. They were not impressed, but I was impressed. <laughs> it was so funny. It was fun. And it made me, the whole day made me feel very special. So to anyone who left me birthday wishes, thank you.
1: What was your high? Um, mine are both things that are happening in the future. So when this episode drops, I will have gotten my Amazon samples in. Um, we sampled 20 styles. I cannot wait to see them. They're coming like any day now. And then the other one is also in the future. This weekend um, on – I'm going from Friday through Monday. My sisters and I rented a house in the Finger Lakes. And I don't really know where that is. Finger Lakes. Finger. <laughs> Why are you such a child?
0: I don't know. I just think it sounds so funny.
1: Um. So my sister, there's eight of us. So there's Becca and Steve and Zoe. And then my sister Meredith and her husband and her two boys. And then me. Rented a house. I went ham on craft supplies. I got... (gasps) So fun. I got kits to paint rocks with glow-in-the-dark paint. I got bracelet-making sets because my nephew loves making bracelets. I got nails. Zoe loves any accessory. Oh, she does. Well, we're going to... Me and the boys are going to make bracelets for Zoe, I think. I got... Oh, I'm allowed to paint their nails. I got orange for Jack and – no, purple for Jack and orange for Will.
0: Oh, my God. I'm so excited.
1: Um, What else did I get? I got like all these feathers and felt and glue and I like maybe went a little out of control.
0: Art teacher Grace. I can't wait to see the photos. Yes. I'm so excited.
1: I I was telling my sisters, I'm like, I'm basically ready to be camp counselor Grace. Um, So fun. Yes. So I'm really excited for that. I haven't seen my sister Meredith since – early February when I flew to Charleston and surprised her for Jack's birthday. So it's been a while and I'm so excited.
0: Oh, that sounds so fun.
1: Yeah. What about lows?
0: Um, I don't have a major low to speak of, but um, I've been waking up really early, not purposefully. Yeah, you but were in sending emails way. at 7 a.m. today. I know. Yesterday I woke up at I think I initially woke up at like 5.50 and I couldn't fall back to sleep and I finally got out of bed at 6.30 and then I was like, well, I might as well start working, but then I crashed by like 10.30. Ugh. So yeah, I'm like becoming a morning person unwillingly, but not in a sustainable or good way. Yeah. I don't know what it it is. I sleep with a sleep mask on, so it's not light. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. It's not a major low. It's just like the past two days I'm like, this isn't great. Yeah, no,
1: that's happened to me before and I hate it.
0: What about you? What's your low?
1: I just, well, you know this. I had a terrible, terrible stomach thing. Like I woke up the day of your birthday and was like just stomach problems all day long. And then yesterday I felt fine, but I was just like super weak and like just drinking so much water and fluids. Um, And I feel better now, but it was like a real rough 24 hours. I think I poisoned myself with... I got this salad from Westville and the salad dressing looked kind of funny and I always like make my own fresh salad dressing because I'm weird about salad dressing and I feel like the salad dressing poisoned me.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. That's such a bummer. Yeah, not good. But I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. So let us take this opportunity to have ye old desperation minute.
1: Yes, desperation minute time. Guys, if you like this
0: podcast, leave us a review in iTunes. Yeah, we would love that. And if you've already left us a review, you're doing great, sweetie. You're doing a great job. Maybe you can take a screenshot and share it on your story and tell somebody how much you are enjoying this podcast or share your favorite episode. Maybe it's going to be this episode. Tell a friend. Yeah, do it. And that concludes ye old desperation minute. All right, so let's talk about careers. Yeah, so we got so many questions. And I put out the call and I specifically said, ask us about our career paths, our, the day-to-day of our jobs, or your career, Career, your questions about your job. And none of them, very few of them were personal to us. Like they were yeah. way more about other people. And yeah. some people sent in some really long scenarios, which I'm really excited to dig into. And we're going to do those in the second episode. No, we're going to do some today. But then oh. if you have more, if you have more, send them in. Basically, a guaranteed way to get your question answered is to send us a long email about it.
1: Yeah, like a juicy, long question. Details. Yeah. We want
0: details. So anyway, I thought we're going to break it up into two episodes. Today, we're going to do the personal questions, some of these long scenarios. And then next time, we have some questions about um, work and COVID. And then we also have some questions about just general questions. And hopefully, we have some more of these meaty scenarios for you too.
1: Yes. And we also have some past career episodes to call out. So just to limit duplicate questions, et cetera, et cetera, Um, In April 2019, we did a great episode called What It's Really Like to Work for Yourself. And then we also have a time management episode from September 2019.
0: Yeah, we had a ton of questions about working for yourself and we covered it pretty in depth in the episode. We talked about how we decided to work for ourselves, um, about how we decided on pricing. We talked about um, insurance. We talked about how I find clients? We'll answer. I put two qu- repeat questions in this episode just because so many people asked them. But um, go listen to that one if you're if you want to hear about freelancing or self employment. Yes. And then all the productivity questions we'll we'll address some of them in the work in COVID next time. But um, the time management episode might help you.
1: Yeah. All right, Grace. Are you going to interview me and then I'll interview you? Yeah. I mean, there's only four questions for you. So like... Nobody really cared about me. Just kidding. (laughs) I mean, I do so many Q&As on Instagram. So... They're
0: like, we're sick of hearing about it. Yeah. They're like, we're done.
1: We get it. We don't want to hear about blogging.
0: Okay. So the first question that somebody asked was, how did you grow your blog and what advice do you have for a new blogger?
1: The first... I always have to acknowledge that I am very lucky because I started it in 2010 where there weren't a lot of blogs yet. So it got a lot of traction. It got featured in a lot of lists and roundups and things. And from there, I just kept at it. But for someone new, I would say being really consistent, sticking to a a calendar. So figure out from day one, like how many times a week you can post. Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? And do it every single time. Like for our podcast, for example, every Wednesday, you guys know that we have a new episode. So I think that like kind of training people and conditioning them is really important. I think that to succeed right now, you have to be doing something either like really exceptionally well or doing it differently So I think make sure that you have an angle and kind of a niche figured out so that you know what you want to do because nobody's really looking to just follow another outfit blogger. There's so many of them. So you have to kind of have your own little angle. And what else would I say? Those are the big things. Also, like I think that finding your voice is so important and also being really authentic. I know that being authentic comes up in every panel and Q and A. It sounds so generic, but I found that, like, once I started just being really honest and like saying if I didn't like something or like being completely and utterly myself, um, my audience started to grow. I think don't try and be like other people and just do you, and you'll find your people. And I would also say it's better to have like a hundred people who really like the content you are putting out than like a thousand people that are just kind of medium on it. That's that's my advice.
0: You also have some blog posts about this. Right? I do.
1: There's a whole bunch of blogging posts on my blog. <laughs> There's but search like blogging or blog tips and they'll all come up.
0: Good luck. What I'm saying. Good luck to whoever. Yeah. Good this luck question. to this person. Not in a mean way. I didn't mean to say that. I, I, I <laughs> it sounded I got, a little. A <laughs> I little didn't mean, mean it that way. Good luck. <laughs> no, I, I was just <laughs> like I, I hope. <laughs> Becca's I so hope mean. You're too well. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Stop being mean, Becca. <laughs> oh. Okay, take the heat off. <laughs> Do you have anxiety as a blogger even though you set your own schedule? No,
1: because I treat it like a job. Like I like people like think that blogging is so glamorous. Like yesterday I was at my desk from 9 to 9. I mean, it was I was sick the day before and also I have so much sponsored content to create right now. Um I think you just got to treat it like a job and like stick to a schedule and like work in advance. Like people are always like, how do you find things to write about or have content? I'm like, because I plan it like months in advance and that helps. I think that you just need to treat it. I think also because I have like, before I quit my job to do my blog, I had, I worked in the work in the traditional workforce for 12 years. So I'm really used to being very regimented, sticking to a schedule and um, treating it, like a business because it is one.
0: What are some things that sold super well through your link that you were surprised by? Okay, this is funny. Well, the Brightland olive oils
1: people love, but what sells even more than the olive oils is the little gold spouts. They're so cute. They're so cute. And you can put them on booze. You can put them on vinegar. You can put them on everything. So those sold really well. What else? Oh, the command ledges in the in my bathroom.
0: Oh, yeah. Those were, I feel like, in every Q&A for a few years. Yeah, they were. Or also in every Q&A, my floating bookshelves.
1: They look like piles of books, but they're not. Those are the big ones because like I'll get so excited about a new skincare product and I literally have to take it talk about it like 15 times before anyone actually takes the plunge because I know that I talk a lot about beauty and it's just a lot. Those are like the three things that probably surprised me the most. Oh, also
0: fruit fly traps. You know what? Those were a bestseller last month. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So people clearly had the same problem as me. The You know what I feel like you also had at one point that was at least surprising to me. I don't know if it was surprising to you. Um, The pregnancy pillow for non-pregnancy. Oh, yeah.
1: I need to get that out. I miss – I haven't slept with it in a while because you can't really sleep with that and the night pillow. Like the two – you just – it's one or the other. But it is like being in a cocoon of happiness. And it's also like helped – it when I was doing it, it was helping me not sleep on my shoulders. So like my shoulders can get kind of folded in because I crunch onto my side. That was really good. Yeah. Oh, and also this year, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but face masks. I sell so many fabric face masks.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. How do you take your pictures? Do you use a tripod? Does somebody else take them?
1: So during COVID, I mastered the art of the tripod. This is a skill that I never want to use again. I hate taking my own pictures. I am not good with visuals. Like that's why I have a graphic designer now, as well as I always work with a photographer. I worked with Ali Provost all summer long, but I also work with Carter Fish and now she's back in the city. So I'm probably going to just like alternate working with the two of them because they are my little 20 something angels. They keep me cool. They're smart. They're both such self starters and so good at what they do. And I just love them. So yes, I am not great with the tripod. I do not wish to use it again. I know how to do it. If we have another pandemic and another lockdown, I shoot with a photographer. Shall we move into some questions for you? Sure. Someone wrote, financial consultant here. So curious about Becca's original consulting career. It's
0: not that interesting. So before (laughs) I worked in marketing, when I first graduated from college, I worked in consulting for a boutique financial consulting firm.
1: Oh, I thought we were going to talk about your marketing consulting work.
0: No, I think she's asking about my oh my old, your old job career. Okay. I did it. I worked there for two and a half years. I got the job straight out of college. I did not know what consulting meant at the time. I had a roommate when I studied abroad in Spain who was going to work at Bain as a consultant. And she like vaguely explained it to me. And I was like, that sounds interesting. And at the time... I kind of grew up thinking that you could be a doctor, a lawyer, or a vague business person. So I was like, I'll be a vague business person. (laughs) I was the same way. So I worked in consulting for two and a half years. It was a great company to work for. I had literally zero passion for it. I thought it was cool because I was fresh out of college and I traveled at least once a month for work on business trips. So I thought that was cool at the time. Um, I went to Atlanta a ton. I went to...
1: Boise a lot. I miss Atlanta. We had fun in Atlanta.
0: Yeah. So it was great. It just wasn't something that I was passionate about. And that's eventually why I left because I was like, oh, if I'm going to go to work every day for eight to 10 hours plus of my life for the next 50 years, I think (laughs) that I should maybe find something that maybe lights my fire a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't get very far at it. But um, yeah, I wore business casual and I I don't know. I would like to see pics of business
1: casual, Becca.
0: For a long time, I saved – I had a bunch of pairs of Theory slacks and a bunch of pairs of uh, – a bunch of Theory pencil skirts, and I saved them. And I was like, what business casual emergency am I saving these for?
1: Oh, you were fancy. My business casual stuff was all from The Limited or – well, I'm older than you two – The Limited and Anne Taylor.
0: I had some of that too, but I had a couple of nice – like my nice work yeah. pants, and I saved them. And I would, And they were like in a trunk that I store my linens in. And I was like, what am I saving these for?
1: I remember when I went to Bolivar and I threw out all my suits and was like, I'm never going to need these again. And you haven't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I feel bad about this question because I don't really have anything interesting to say.
1: Well, you were young. It was your first job. I feel like first jobs are rarely very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Could you explain more about what you do in your marketing consulting work?
0: Sure. So... Before I went freelance, I was the head of marketing for Lola, and I oversaw growth, retention, and brand marketing. So, my experience is pretty broad. I mostly work I work with a lot of startups, but I also work with some more mature brands now as well. So, I would say I there are two very common types of projects that I do. So, one type of project is a company has lost their VP of marketing either because that person quit or was fired and they need somebody to help run the team while they rehire for this position. Or in some cases, they've just decided that they need this position, but hiring can be a pretty long road. Um, So I'll come in for three to six months and help audit what they're doing, manage the team, get everyone moving in the right direction and make sure that they're hitting their goals. The other type of project is very specific. So it's we need to do this thing and we don't have any expertise to do it. So for example, I work pretty frequently on TV commercials. So we want to run TV advertising. We don't know how. I will help them to make their creative, to find a media agency, and to run a test. I just did a project where a company was replatforming their email marketing program. So totally overhauling both the system that they were on. And I oversaw, I project managed that with their technical team, and then revamped all of their marketing communications via email in a new system. So those are kind of the main types of projects I do, but it's very bespoke. I've done other things too. Um, I don't do influencer marketing. I don't do PR. But other than that, like anything that is marketing related, I have done. So
1: yeah. Yeah. What about finding clients? So you talked about this in the work for yourself episode, but um, this came up like 10 times. Oh my
0: God, I got this. we got this question so many times. I fear that the answer I have is not the answer that people want. All of my clients have come through a referral. So, and that's
1: because of your career path and the, yeah. the connections you made at your old day jobs. Totally.
0: So I worked, um, I was in the workforce for 10 years before I went freelance. And I worked in marketing specifically in this industry for eight years um, before I went out on my own. So all of my business has been referral-based. I've never sent a cold email. I've never gone to a networking event and been like, I'm going to drum up business. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I probably would dislike that.
1: Oh, my God. I would hate. That's my worst nightmare. I
0: know. So that, I think, has affected my feelings on working for myself because business development has been not as big a part of it.
1: But you put in the work before. Absolutely. And proved yourself and... Have a great track record.
0: And I also have a lot of conversations with people that don't go anywhere. So, I mean, business development still is an aspect, but I'm not like, it's not cold.
1: I feel like when you first started, you were just like going to meetings all day long.
0: Totally. So, I would say, I'll say two things. So, first of all, in terms of where they come from, um, most of the referrals come from either people who are already in my network, who I worked with in some capacity in the past, who are recommending me. Sometimes they come from investors. So I have relationships with different venture capital firms, and sometimes they will refer me to portfolio companies. That sounds so fancy. It does sound, it sounds fancier than you're using a lot of big words
1: in this interview.
0: Um, And then the other is I have relationships with two to three other marketing consultants who do the same thing that I do. And I usually only have max three clients at a time. So I will refer a lot of work to them if people are reaching out to me and I don't have bandwidth and vice versa. So actually, two of the clients that I have right now are from other consultants that pass people along to me when they didn't have bandwidth. Oh, I like that. So yeah, that's kind of like where it comes from. And then the other side of it is before I left my full-time job, I gave like six months notice. It was not a surprise. (laughs) I was there for a while transitioning out to make sure it was smooth. And um, before I left, I sent an email to about 200 people who were my closest contacts there who were people I worked with regularly. um, And I told them that I was leaving and going freelance and their business needed help in marketing or if they knew people that needed help in marketing to that I would love to talk with them. And that's what you said. When I first started, I was having so many meetings. And so that email kind of set me up with my first batch of clients.
1: What about vetting clients if you do it at all? So how do you, get, uh, how do you avoid getting stuck in the cycle of low-paying, not-so-great clients?
0: So I always have a first call with a client. And on that call, I try to weed out anyone who can't afford me. And that's isn't going to be a good fit project-wise. So maybe they're a teeny tiny business, and they, you know, want to spend a, a couple thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, getting some help on a small project. I will refer them to people, but I—that's probably not going to be a project for me. I try to only take projects that are at least three months long, so that I'm not investing time to get up to speed and then for not enough. Money, basically.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, And then also making sure that the project is something that I can do and I want to do. So I'll get approached a lot of times, and what they're actually looking for is somebody to run their Facebook advertising. And that is not something I do. So, you know, when I get on the first call, I want to like make sure that what we're talking about is something that is something I can and want to do. Yeah. And then I'm pretty generous with my time up front. So I will have multiple calls with clients before signing on. You know, I'll usually have a first intro call. Sometimes I'll have a second call to flesh out what it is exactly that they're looking for help with. I'll send them a proposal. I'll get back on the phone with them to talk through the proposal. And in that process, anyone who's too difficult, like I feel like more time I spend up front, the more you can kind of get a sense for the people. And if it seems like it's not a great fit, I have elegantly backed out of projects before we've signed a contract and said, I I actually don't think this is going to be a fit. So I do try to vet. And also because I only have two to three clients at a time, I can be pretty picky about who I want to work with. And I'm usually talking to people in advance of... Actually, needing work this summer, I did get into a point where I was like, "I need a project." So, you know, I was like, "This came to me. I'm going to take it." But otherwise, I'm usually lining things up a couple months in advance, and so I feel like I can say no and still have time for something else to come along without there being like a low. Yeah, but I feel this. I can definitely see how I feel that with my blog. Stuck. Yeah,
1: yeah. Having that call to understand how they are and how they want to work is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Last question for you. What about measuring your worth or rather your return on investment for past clients as you pitch new ones?
0: This doesn't come up as much. I'm usually not in – I'm usually not working with a client long enough to specifically have ROI. So it's usually like a check the box thing. It's like we wanted to do this thing. Did we do it? Yes or no? So it's like we made TV commercials. We tested them. Like it's finishing the project is kind of just the check the box. Yeah, I do have clients that I've worked with longer. And so, you know, in, in longer term scenarios, it's like about scaling spend and growing revenue and increasing retention. So it depends. But I always phrase it in terms of here was the client goal. Here's what the client wanted. Here's what I did. Yeah. So it's always in terms of the client's need. So it could just be the client needed a VP of marketing to oversee the team during a time of transition It doesn't need to necessarily be a numbers goal. On my resume, I always try to provide numbers in terms of, you know, grew the business 10x, whatever that number is, to try to ground things in numbers. But um, with my consulting projects, because they're shorter, it doesn't always make sense to talk in terms of numbers.
1: That makes sense. Okay, so should we take a quick ad break? Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Bonviv. I am so excited. I feel like my whole voice lights up when I talk about this sponsor because I've been such a big fan for a while now. I actually sent Becca a photo because I found one of their old cans because they had old branding in my fridge (laughs) and I was like, look, Um, but I've been a fan for a really long time now and their Spiked Seltzer is delicious and has zero sugar too.
0: Yes. So I am new to this brand, and I really, really like them. I love seltzer. So I was excited when they reached out to us to partner on some ads because what's better than seltzer? Spiked seltzer. So there are eight flavors. There's the blends. There's pear elderflower, clementine hibiscus, pineapple coconut, and lemon lime so good.
1: Um, Then there are the classic flavors, cranberry, which is Becca's favorite, black cherry, mango, and grapefruit. Each can has just 90 calories. It is light, it is refreshing, and it tastes great. So my personal favorite is the pear elderflower, but they're all really good. I had the mango one last night and it was delightful.
0: Yeah. I really love the cranberry, like you said. I feel like it's just a unique flavor that I haven't seen from other brands. And I don't like things that are too sweet. So it's like a little bit tart and refreshing. It's truly, truly delicious. It's really good. It reminds me
1: of a Cape Codder. Yeah. So we have been enjoying these um, as we record. And since they're a sponsor, I feel like drinking one is work.
0: Yeah. It's totally work. Our career is drinking Spike seltzer, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> it is the perfect late afternoon day drink because it's so like light and refreshing.
1: So while we are on a mission to make drinking our job, Bon Viv is on a mission to make this summer the best it can be. So even though things are definitely different than usual, you can still have fun.
0: Yeah, we've been doing socially distanced hangouts on Grace's patio, and Bon Viv is perfect for that. These seltzers
1: have been one of my absolute favorite summer beverages. I live alone, so I don't always want to open up a whole bottle of wine or spend all that time making a fancy cocktail just for me. That kind of feels a little bit sad, um, but I can easily crack one of these open for a refreshing and boozy treat after a long day of work. So last night I was doing one while I listened to an audiobook and did a puzzle, and I feel like that is Becca's definition of sad because she thinks puzzles are group projects. I do. But I loved it.
0: Well, I couldn't agree more that they're light and refreshing. I do also agree that doing puzzles alone is kind of sad. Um, But I love opening one up while I cook dinner or I watch a movie. Um, It's just such like a nice, easy treat. Yes.
1: We need to do another patio hang real soon.
0: Yeah. So you guys, you need to try these spiked seltzers. They are so good. I've said it like 10 times, but they are the perfect, refreshing treat. They are. So if you do, tag us in your Instagrams. And also tag Bon Viv. Yes. We'd love that. All right, Grace. So then we got some personal questions that are for us both. So somebody wanted to know, do either of you have five or 10-year plans for your job? Not asking what they are, just what strategy you you use. I
1: don't. I find that my career has been so fluid. Like if you're new here, i started as an assistant buyer. Then I worked in marketing for several years. I was a brand manager for several different beauty brands. Then I was the director of social media for a startup Bobble bar. So that's three careers. Now I'm a blogger. Also, if you add the podcast, that's a fifth career. So I have found that I kind of just work really hard at whatever I'm doing. And it kind of leads me to the next thing. Like, will I be blogging for in five years? I hope so, but maybe not. Um, I definitely have goals and things that I want to accomplish, but I don't have a plan. And I feel like when you have a plan, sometimes that can pigeonhole you a little bit.
0: Yeah. I thought I had a really interesting realization when I saw this question in that I was like, no, I don't. And I don't really care.
1: Ashley Spivey talks a lot about this on her stories. And I, she's always like, no, I don't have a plan. And I feel like it's good that I don't have a plan because I always am like changing.
0: I feel like earlier in my career, I was definitely way more hung up on having a five-year plan and understanding oh, where I was going. And part of it is that I feel like I've reached – this point in my career where I'm like I'm making enough money I'm happy with what I do I just want to make sure it's sustainable so if I was doing the same thing in five years as long as I was happy that would be fine with me
1: I feel exactly this so same. I want to
0: make sure I'm not setting myself up that it, whatever I'm doing becomes obsolete or I'm not the right person to do it anymore but outside of that I'm like no I really don't have one yeah I mean think of Instagram like Instagram didn't really exist 10 years. It didn't exist at all 10 years ago. Yeah. So if you had planned your career, wouldn't. you wouldn't have had that in there. And podcasts didn't exist. Podcasts actually did, oh. but they weren't a yeah. big thing.
1: And blogs. like I mean, I would never would have thought when I was sitting in my office at Cody as a brand manager that I was going to make social media a job. I remember fighting to get a Facebook page. This, yeah. I mean, this is like 12 years ago.
0: Yeah. So I don't have one. And the other thing I'm realizing is that I, as a person, enjoy changing my job and my career and what I'm doing every five or so years. Same. So I kind of want to keep evolving and I want to not know what I'm going to be doing in 10 years. Like right now, I'm kind of thinking that I would be really thrilled if rom-com pods was what I was doing for my Full time job in terms of it paying me. I'm already doing the full time job in terms of work. <laughs> You're paying rom com pods to I work am. there right now. I am. <laughs> it's a really cool internship I have. So yeah, I don't have a five or ten year plan, and I feel fine about that.
1: Yeah. Did you ever, or do you consider going back to grad school?
0: Um, I did consider going back to grad school. So when I was in my early twenties, and I was living in Boston, and I was still, um, I was still working in traditional consulting. I thought about going and getting my MBA. And I went so far as to buy a book, like a prep book. I bought it too. And then I realized that you had to relearn trigonometry. And I was like, screw this. I really think that that was kind of where it all fell apart. I was like, <laughs> I'm just fundamentally unwilling to relearn trigonometry. So I thought about it. There was another question. I, I think I must have cut it in here, but it was like, what do you think about MBAs? And I don't think it's necessary. There are so many people out there who are going to tell you that what a great choice it was for them. So I'm not trying to diminish what they did, but let me provide you a counterpoint by saying that when I worked in my full-time job, I did a decent amount of public speaking and I was regularly on panels and was the only person that didn't have an MBA. And I had the same job and was getting paid the same amount as those people. I truly do not think that it is necessary you can Find another way to do the job. If you decide you want to go back to school for some reason, because that is your journey, great. But I'm saying you don't need to. I feel like if you work for a company that's going to pay for it, awesome. Have fun. But I feel like it's a lot of, honestly, it's a lot of partying. And it's like more for the network than it is for anything you learn. You could just as easily learn it on the job.
1: Yeah, I was going to do it. I worked for Procter and Gamble and at the time I was like the only one without my MBA and they pay for it. So I yeah. I bought the book, I was like studying and then they laid me off. So
0: that was <laughs> that derailed that plan. In that situation if you're, you know, at a company that's going to pay for it and it's going to help you to get paid more and get a more senior role, absolutely. But Yeah.
1: At this point it feels like partying which I don't want to do. I'm old. A lot of money and building a network, and I already have a great network.
0: Yeah, I would also. Oh, this is gonna. Uh, this is gonna sound so bad. Only go to business school if you're going to go to a top tier business school. Why? Because that's the network that you want. So oh. if you're going for the network, just that going it to have the piece of paper, like, it's... I don't think that has any benefit whatsoever. Like that, you can get on the job if you're going to go to Harvard or Wharton or. But, not that those are the only two, but like a top tier program, I think some people find it worth it for the network. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: The idea of studying for that test and going back to school right now gives me actual hives.
0: I I mean, I don't think neither of us are going to go back to school now, but for somebody who's maybe 10 years (laughs) earlier in their career and is actively thinking about it, I don't think that I would recommend it for my past self either. Yeah. Somebody wanted to know, has it affected your career's or bad on paper, to talk publicly about supporting Democratic candidates?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. But I will say my Instagram growth has slowed down. I've been losing followers more. And like usually I get like a, about 100 new followers a day just on average. And lately I've been getting like five. So I think I'm still getting new followers. But More and more people are unfollowing. And I'm fine with
0: that. I don't think it's affected me negatively whatsoever. I actually when we started Bad on Politics, I'm pretty sure, I don't know where it is, I'm pretty sure I wrote myself a note where I was like, I wrote myself a note anticipating that there was going to be a really negative backlash. And I wrote myself a note about why this was important to me and why I didn't care to (laughs) refer to if people were being mean to me online. And I was like, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into? And I want to find it. But regardless of what, I'm glad that it hasn't negatively affected me, but even if it has, I think this election is too important. And and having a platform, I feel the need to use it to impact the, the outcome of the election in any way I can. I, what Steph said really resonated with me in our last Bat on Politics episode where she was like, I don't want to wake up yes. the day after the election and think that I could have done more.
1: Yes, exactly. I did get some – like pretty awful comments when i posted that thing where people were asking if we would have someone from the trump campaign come on too <laughs> but it just is what it is
0: it is and i i think that we have consciously separated the episode so if you have different political views than us or this is not content you want to consume that is your choice it is not in place of other content yeah it's um, extra it's extra but no, we're not going to have on somebody to talk about the Republican platform, which does not exist and is just support of Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. If it was a real Republican, I would love to have someone on.
0: So (laughs) that's that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't have a specific question here, but we got so many people submitting things about imposter syndrome. So I wanted to know, have you ever experienced imposter syndrome?
1: All the time, especially when I was at Bobble Bar because social media – I was their director of social for for like four years Um, because social media was such a new thing. And it was right when my blog started to take off too. And I was getting put on all these panels and speaking opportunities. And I just felt like I didn't belong. I didn't have my MBA. I didn't really – like I was just – social media is something where you just have to kind of fly by the seat of your pants and learn as you go. Like now kids are – I say kids. Like college students are studying it in college. You can actually major in it. But um, yes, all the time. I had it when I was at Procter & Gamble because I was hired by a company that was acquired by P&G. So I kind of like snuck my way in the cra- – through the cracks without having an MBA. and constantly like – worried that I wasn't smart enough to be there. You know, there was a lot of people using big words and like constantly talking and advocating for themselves. And I wasn't good at that. Like I knew that I was just as smart as everyone else. I just maybe wasn't communicating the way that they were and using all the fancy lingo. And like, I mean, Procter and Gamble is like the land of acronyms. So I had to kind of just learn. I don't think I even knew what imposter syndrome was until I read I think it was when I read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and I was like, "Oh, this is a whole thing. This is how I feel every day." And I still get it from time to time, but I have gotten a lot more confident. I mean, I'm going to be 40 in a year and a couple months. So like I'm pretty confident in myself at this point, but it's taken a long time to get there. How about you?
0: I've absolutely experienced imposter syndrome. I I can't necessarily think of like a good specific story for you, but yes, I have. But the more times we got this question, it really kind of started to irk me. Not because of people who were asking it, but I was just like, granted, I do not spend a lot of time in male circles. I do not follow a lot of male business leaders or influencers. But like, I have never heard a man say, I feel like I don't deserve this and I feel like an imposter. Yeah. And I, it really, I was talking to my friend Allie about this the other night after we had dinner. She came over and we had a glass of wine. And I was talking to her about how many questions we got about imposter syndrome, and I was like, this seems like a uniquely female problem. And it's the same thing. Like there's that stat where it's like a woman will only apply for the job when she meets 99% of the criteria versus a man will apply to a job when he only fits like half the criteria. Yes. Um and I was like, wow, it really bums me out, I guess, <laughs> that all of these women are, you know, dealing with Having imposter syndrome. And I'm like, I want to consciously for myself. And if anyone else wants to do this with me, by all means, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm going to refuse to have imposter syndrome unless somebody directly tells me that I am unqualified to be in this circle or doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to assume I am. I love that. Also, the older I get, I realize that no matter how high you get in your career, people still, it's like that feeling, you know, where it's like, I thought I would become an adult at some point yeah I guess I do feel like an adult but it was like something bad happens you look around for an adult and it's like you are an adult it's like no I need an adult to your adult yes but it's like I don't think that you ever feel a hundred percent confident and I don't think that you're ever going to
1: I agree and I think that as you get older you realize everyone's kind of just learning as they go yeah yeah
0: yeah. I also think the pace of technology and how rapidly things are changing has made obsolete a lot of institutional expertise that maybe people had years ago because they had done their job for 40 years where it's like, well, things are different now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to make a conscious effort anytime I have thoughts of imposter syndrome to give myself a pep talk and remind myself that w- we don't do that here.
1: Yes. I love that. Okay. Next question. What's been the best and worst part of becoming more visible on Instagram?
0: I don't know that there's a worse part. Um, There's definitely a lot of best parts. I mean, I feel like I – so I just had my birthday. And um, I feel like I've met so many new friends through the podcast, through Instagram. And they've become offline friends, not just online friends. And so seeing how many people I was talking to on my birthday that we're internet friends, I was like, wow, that made me really happy. Yeah. Also, I mean, having a bigger Instagram following, I mean, when we launched romcom pods, I, I think that a lot of our listeners came from people who have been following me on Instagram through its creation. So having it as a marketing platform for my own projects has been really awesome. I guess the only negative is I guess I feel pressure sometimes to post things. Where I mean, I, didn't, I posted once in August. <laughs> don't worry. I've already posted twice in September. I yeah, have but-, um, but sometimes I think about that. Like it's not just a, oh, that's funny. I haven't posted. I'm like, oh, maybe I should post. Yeah. So I guess that's the only negative I've experienced so far. I've, but I feel lucky because I do look at other people who have experienced a lot more negativity online in terms of backlash from people. And I think one thing is that I've realized that I don't want social media to be my career. Like if it was like you could become a full-time Instagram influencer, I'd be like, "No thanks, I'm gonna find something else to do <laughs> <laughs> I don't i I like having a following, but I would never want to be fully dependent, on yeah, that. yeah,
1: well, I think that like as an influencer, like I'd be fine if Instagram went away because I have my blog, we have the mm-hmm. podcast, I have what else do I do? I have something else that Amazon am oh, my Amazon partnership, my Sephora partnership, my um my email newsletter that's a big one, yeah, so I don't for me. I think the positives are definitely the community, the friends I've made, the amazing partnerships I've been able to work on, like getting to design a line of dresses for Amazon and then getting asked back to do a second one. Like that's been so cool. But I think that the negative is just feeling like when you are sharing that much, you're giving people access to your life, which I don't share everything. But what I do share, I have to like really think about everything I post, like are people going to comment on this? Are they going to nitpick this? Like, maybe I'm not going to share this thing I'm doing because I'm going to get a bunch of DMs lecturing me on what I'm doing. Um, like, even when I said, like, I don't want to wake up after the election and feel like I could have done more, I got like 50 DMs from people saying, well, it actually won't be the day after the election that you find out. <laughs> and I was like, you don't need to correct everything that I I write. And I get it. Like, I, I'm sharing. I'm making a living from Instagram and my blog and all of that. And people are able to comment and it's why my story replies are turned off right now because it's just sometimes it gets to be a lot like especially like during covid and a pandemic where already like mental health can be like teetering on an edge so I think that just sometimes feeling like everyone has an opinion and is going to tell you that opinion like that's why I don't talk about dating because it can feel like I have like 300 busybody aunts commenting on my love life and like wanting to know if it's my boyfriend or like whatever is happening so I just don't talk about that. I don't talk about my workouts because I don't want or like diet or any of that because I don't want the feedback. Yeah. But mostly I love it. Like I could not love my job more. So, I feel like I got I took a real downer edge, but like I love I love it. I love the community. I love the Bad on Paper Facebook group. I love the Stripe Facebook group. I love just like the funny things you guys send me, um, I'm still upset that Charlie D'Amelio got the Duncan, um coffee with her name. Everyone sent me that yesterday and I was going to cry because I feel like it should be me.
0: Well, Grace, when you have 80 <laughs> million followers, you too could have a coffee beverage I named know. after you. So many people were like, this should have been you. I'm like, mm,
1: I have like one... 60th of Charlie's following, so maybe
0: not, but thank
1: you. <laughs> I'm not actually really mad, but I I, I loved that people were sending me that and thinking of me. Yeah.
0: All right. Here's a fun one. What careers did you want throughout your life as a kid, a teen, a young adult?
1: Oh, my God. Now? So kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Teen, I wanted to be a psychologist. Young adult, I wanted to be um, a writer or a journalist. Um, and then I wanted to be an assistant buyer because I heard about that job and was like, that's the job I want. And I got that job and then I realized I hated it because it's not picking out clothes and like, you know, just like merchandising a store. It's all spreadsheets.
0: Yeah. What about you? Um, okay. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a house painter. (laughs) Really wanted to be a house painter. (laughs) Um, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, because everyone in my family said that I would be really good at it because I'm, I talk a lot and I can be argumentative. So I feel like it was something I thought I wanted, but I didn't actually want. When I was in college, I wanted to work in politics or go into the foreign service, which I obviously didn't do. (laughs) And then just out of college after I worked in consulting, I I really wanted to work in fashion, which I did. But that was kind of like when I re-level set and I was like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I don't like being a consultant. I was like going back to what did I like when I was a kid? And I was like, I want to work in fashion somehow. And you did. And
1: I did. Yeah.
0: That's how we met
1: when you worked at Indy. Yeah.
0: Okay. Another repeat question that we got a ton of time. So I figured we would just answer it so that all the people asking didn't have to go back to a previous episode. What do you do for insurance when you're self employed?
1: I have Oscar and I hate it. So I need to actually, when open enrollment starts, like get a new one because I was paying like a little over $400, like for like. Whenever I started working for myself maybe five years ago or so, and they just told me my premium is going to be like $1,000. Oh, wow. And so I think I need a new plan.
0: Okay. Yeah. Insurance is definitely a downside of working for yourself. I have insurance through the New York State Health Marketplace. Um, I have a plan through MetroPlus. I picked it because it has a decently low deductible. It is $650 a month, so it is not an insignificant cost.
1: And Less than I pay, so I'm going to get on your plan.
0: Yeah. And- I just kind of have it as a direct debit and I don't think about it. Yeah, it sucks.
1: Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about night. As you know, we are obsessed with this brand. We love the pillow. We love the eye mask for sleeping. We love the gold skincare face masks. We are obsessed with their scrunchies. And more recently, we are obsessed with their new silk fabric face masks. The brand was founded on using materials that combine efficacy with beauty benefits. So, of course, this face mask is so amazing. I have a lot of face masks, but these are among my most favorite, especially because they're so breathable and won't break me out.
0: I'll go even further. These are my hands down favorite face masks. So, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people complaining on Instagram about maskne, and I just want to go tell all of them that they need to get a night silk face mask because I was experiencing this too earlier in quarantine, but I totally nipped the issue in the bud with my night mask. So their face masks are made of 100% mulberry silk, which is breathable, still protective, and also skin friendly. So I have three, and they are the only ones I wear these days. I just alternate and wash them in between. They are just so much better than all of my other ones.
1: I also have three, Um, but since we are all going to be wearing masks for a long time, I think it definitely makes sense to invest in a good one. So we already covered that this one is not going to irritate your skin, but it also has adjustable ear loops to ensure a snug fit and a nose clip to make sure you don't fog up your sunglasses with your breath, which I think is so smart. I have a really big face, so a lot of face masks can be just like a little bit tight and pull on my ears, and this one does not do that.
0: Oh, interesting. Also, I like that it's cute because, let's be honest, we care. So the masks come in six cute colors. They come in emerald green, pink, tan, black, and gunmetal. And they just launched two new colors. They launched cream and navy.
1: Yes, the emerald green is my favorite, but I love the cream one so much because I feel like it's like a really chic, pretty neutral color, and it looks really good with a tan, which I don't have a real tan, but I've been using my Isle of Paradise drops. So Knight is a female-owned small business, which we love, and lately, you know, Becca and I have both been really conscious about where we're spending our dollars, and so this is a company we feel really good about supporting. For every mask purchased, they've been donating five surgical masks to healthcare workers on the front lines of the COVID response, and they already have do- donated 10,000 masks and counting. The last thing I wanted to talk about is washing the mask. My pro tip is to use the Laundress's Lilabo detergent. It smells so good. And since the mask goes over your nose, that's kind of a treat. Um, but I just rinse mine out and then um, use that detergent. Like I rinse it every time I use it, and then I wash it like once a week. We get a lot of DMs about care for the mask.
0: I use the regular laundress one, and I agree. I love the way it smells. Yeah. So if you want to grab a mask of your own, head to discovernight.com and use code BOP20 to take 20% off your order. The code also works on anything on their site. So if you're looking to make your home comfier, you can grab their famous signature pillow, you can grab some scrunchies, get everything because it's all great. Best pillow ever. Again, take 20% off at discovernight.com with code BOP20.
1: OK, let's do some listener scenarios.
0: I love these. People submitted really meaty questions. And if you have a meaty question for us, email us at batonpaperpodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to do our second work episode in two weeks. So we might answer your question.
1: So someone wrote, I work for a tech company and I got promoted at the end of last year. I was doing great in my new managerial role and then was asked to step down back to associate role mid-pandemic due to company restructuring. It ended up being a blessing in disguise. Thankfully, it wasn't a huge salary difference because my mental health has become so much better without the extra stress. Good news. The company is performing again and they want me to step back up into that managerial role. But I don't really want to. Is that bad? Am I harming my career by protecting my mental sanity? I know things are getting better, in quotes, but I am also terrified of returning to the office. They're trying to get to 50% capacity with a rotation schedule by September 8th. Oh, my God. Um, Do you have any thoughts or advice you have on this? It would be so appreciated.
0: Okay. So I feel like this is actually two separate questions. So the first question, which is seemingly more cut and dry, is – It sounds like this person is worried about going back to the office because of COVID, which I would be too. Same. I totally respect that. And I don't know this particulars. They work for a tech company. So I assume it's like not – they can do their job from home. And I don't know how much flexibility there is. But I guess I'm here with you. I I totally get why that would be scary. And you know, see if you can talk to your manager and – Be honest about your concerns. I mean, if it helps, there are a lot of businesses that are work from home until July 2021, including Google. So there's all kinds of businesses that you can point to um, that are not fully remote. Hopefully, you also have a great track record of, you know, that you've been productive while you're at home. So, you know, you can point to that as well. That seems like one half of the question. Grace, what else do you have on that?
1: I absolutely agree. I think that you have to put your health first and I would use those data points. There are so many big companies that are not going back to the office and put your safety first.
0: And then the second question, which may or may not be related to that, it's not clear if this person doesn't want to step back into the role because being in a managerial role would require being in the office or they just straight up don't want it. And this is a harder question because I do think that in a lot of businesses, and I don't know what specific company this is or what particular area of the business this person works in, um, being promoted means managing people. And it is hard to progress in your career as an individual contributor. You can kind of, in a lot of companies, only go so far. So if that is what you've decided that you want, you might need to find ways to work for yourself um, where you can sell your skills to A business without managing people. Or you might have to rethink what, not write your own role, but kind of like have a more proactive vision that you're presenting to management about how you're going to progress if it's different than kind of the accepted traditional role where you work for someone, you were promoted to a manager, and then you manage people, and then you keep progressing and managing a larger and larger team. Because yeah, in corporate America, a lot of being promoted is managing people.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I. Uh, this is hard because I feel like so many companies have that like upper out culture. Like if you aren't moving up, then you get out, and I hate that. And I really applaud this listener for putting her mental health first. I think that that is so smart and like not something that I really did when I was younger and working in a more traditional job. I was just always so focused at, of like moving up and getting to the next step at all costs. So I think that having like a really honest, heartfelt, if you're you're able to, conversation with your manager just about COVID and the pandemic and what it's done to your mental health like could be really good. But it depends on your relationship with your boss, I would say. I also think, again, putting together a plan saying like right now I'm not ready to step back into that role. But not now doesn't mean never. And that you are ready to – you would be ready in like six months or 12 months. But right now, like given everything going on in the world, you don't feel that – like you would be able to do a good job and hopefully they'll appreciate your honesty.
0: That's a good point. It's not clear if it's like this person doesn't want this role ever or doesn't want it now.
1: Yeah, because I think there's a big difference. If you don't want it ever and you don't want to manage people, like fine. Like I don't want to manage people. I'm 38 years old and have made a career working for myself. I manage freelancers and things, but that's way different than employees and like team members that, you know, like actually need to lean on you every day.
0: I think that if anything... If you decide that you don't want to manage people ever, working for a tech company, there might be more acceptance for that because I know in engineering, there is definitely a culture of being an individual contributor rather than managing people. So you know, I think there might be more acceptance for that, but you might have to work with your manager to proactively find what that looks like at your company rather than progressing through the career track that maybe the business has laid out. Yeah. Which might not align to that.
1: That's hard. It is hard. But I think that really being true to yourself and also just recognizing that is so awesome.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like having that self-awareness and not getting five years into it and being like, I know so many people who work for themselves now who I actually really enjoy managing people, but I know a lot of people who got to a point in their career where they were very senior and they realized that they were A, professional meeting attenders and B, managing people and not doing any actual work themselves. And especially people who work in more creative careers where they're like a copywriter or something and it's like, I don't actually write anymore. I just go to meetings and then like edit other people's writing. So yeah, like I think kudos to you for realizing what you want before already having gone down that path and being like, oh. Yeah. Let's get into the second one. This is another management question. Somebody said, there's somebody on my team who has been with us since last October, and they haven't been improving in the way they are expected. They're not bad at their job overall. They just don't seem to pay attention to details, and it seems like my corrections don't always stick. On top of that, sometimes they ignore my emails about corrections that need to be done. I noticed corrections I had sent from the beginning of July were never completed. I don't know if they were being willfully defiant or if there is something more going on. I just don't know what to do about this anymore. I've changed the way I present the corrections, making it so that they need to work to figure it out. I used to just flat out tell them what was wrong and what changes had to be made. Honestly, I'm tired of handholding, which maybe means I'm not meant to be in a leadership role. What would you do in this situation? Do you want to take this one first? Sure.
1: This is so hard and something I really struggled with when I did manage people. I'm thinking about Ilana and she had such great attention to detail and that's why I loved her because those small little changes are and when some, when you're feeling ignored and you're working so hard on something, it's, it's so frustrating. I don't think that this means that you are not meant to be in a leadership position. I do think you need to have like really honest conversations and put in place a performance plan because this person needs to like get with the program and listen to you. You're her manager, his manager, and they need to shape up. What do you think?
0: I think that it sounds like there's two sides to the problem. I think maybe this person needs to work on their management style. So whether that's through seeking out professional development internally, reading books. There's a book called Radical Candor, which is one of my favorite books about management. Um, But it sounds like, This person has already started to correct some of it. But when they said that I used to just flat out tell them what was wrong and the changes to be made, and now I'm telling them, it sounds like maybe this person is on their own journey to learn to manage somebody, which is really hard. Managing people is not something that I feel like there's a lot of training and development around, at least at the companies that I've worked for. So it is definitely something that I think requires learning the same way that any hard skill does. Like It's a soft skill, but it requires development. Yeah. Second thing is that you should be giving feedback to this person regularly. Um, They should know in real time what they are doing incorrectly and where they stand performance-wise. And to Grace's point, if it's become a habitual problem, writing a performance improvement plan um, that lays out here are the things that you need to do and here is how long you have to do them and understanding that there might not be a place for them at the company if this does not get corrected. So I always like to say that during a performance review, so your every six months or one year performance review should never be news to you as the employee getting feedback. So this person should have communication throughout saying that they're not doing as well as you want them to. And I know that's really hard feedback to deliver, but you shouldn't be like saving it up It shouldn't be a surprise to them. The other thing I'll say is that firing people sucks, but it's part of being a manager. So it might be that this just isn't the right person. And even though they're a nice person and they're not actively bad at their job, they're not doing what you need them to do. And they may ultimately need to be fired, which sucks. I hate firing people. However, you cannot just have you cannot build a team based on people who are not good at their job that you've been too afraid to fire or you're going to have a very underperforming team. Absolutely. So those are some hard truths that I yeah. have for you, listener. But I, I definitely don't want to underestimate how hard it is to learn to manage people well. And it's not something that is just black and white where it's like you've learned it and it's a snap. It's like it's a continual relearning because I feel like every employee or many employees have different styles of how they like to be communicated with and what they respond to. So it's like kind of an evolving thing that you have to learn.
1: Okay. Should we move to our next question? Yeah. This person is in their first job out of college and she says that she is in sort of a predicament. So she accepted the job the week before she graduated. It basically just took the first job she got an offer from. She writes, I like the job, but I was told that I wouldn't be able to negotiate the salary, which is $34,000 a year in San Francisco. And I've been here for about a year and a half and I'm ready to be promoted. She writes, I talked to my boss. She said that I was about 95% there and that was about a month ago and nothing has happened since. Our CEO said raises and promotions probably wouldn't happen until 2021 due to COVID. So now I'm in this predicament of, I like my job, but I feel like I'm being severely underpaid. Should I start looking for something new or continue to ask my boss about being promoted? I feel like the job market is pretty bad right now, and it might be safer to wait until it's better to look for a new job. But I don't want to delay my career advancement by staying. Thoughts?
0: Okay, some of this might be bigger than you in terms of COVID has definitely hit a lot of businesses hard. So no matter what your performance is, I know a lot of businesses are in hiring freezes or cannot give raises or promotions. So it might not be related to your specific performance, there might be bigger factors at play. So I think that's one thing we need to remember. You don't need to stay, but you might not have the opportunity to make more money at your current company at this time, depending on what their finances are like and what their HR uh, policies are right now around promotions and pay increases. So it might be out of your hands. I would also say you don't have to decide one way or the other. The way that you phrase this has made it seem very much like there is one right answer and one right answer only. Go look for a job and see if you can find another job. It's not a good job market, but if you can find another job that pays you more, that's a win. You just need one. Go try that. If you can't, don't make a declarative statement that you're quitting your job before you have a new one. If you can't find a better job, stay at your current job. The other thing is, if you get a different job and you have an offer, you can leverage that offer with your current employer to say, I have another job offer. Maybe you get, you're get you making $34,000 right now. Maybe you get a new job that pays you $45,000. And you can go back to your current employer and say, hi, we have been discussing getting promoted. I need to be making more money to live in San Francisco, which is an expensive city. I've been here for one and a half years. Here is everything that I've done that is positive and means that I should get a promotion. I have this other offer from another company, but I would really like to stay here because I love the people and I love this job, but I need more money. Can you match this offer? And in a lot of cases, it is much cheaper for a company to pay you more than it is for them to hire and train somebody new. So you might find that you can stay at your current job but leverage a different job offer for a raise there. And if not, you have another job offer so the worst they can say is no to you, and then you accept the other job.
1: Yeah, I don't really have anything to add here. I would just say that look for a job now and keep the one you have because I hate saying this, but in the pandemic with an, um, unemployment r- rates soaring, it's good to have a job.
0: Yeah, just keep your options open. You don't need to decide one way or the other. If you go down the path of trying to find a new job and it doesn't work, then you stay and you try again next year. Yes. So, we're going to do one more and we actually have a couple more. So, we'll take, we'll do a n- couple more meaty questions next episode, but we would love to hear your meaty scenarios. So, send them to us.
1: Yes. So, I love this question because I've been here before. Someone wrote, What to do if you're Good at something, but you really dislike it and you have become the go-to person or default person to lead and take out projects or tasks within this scope. For context, I'm a teacher, so I recognize this will be different for other people, but I feel like the general question remains the same. Basically, I've gotten pigeonholed as the RTI person in my high school. This means that I tackle intervention with kids across the English department, guide teachers with their own intervention, teach intervention classes, and so forth. I do not like it. But I am—I I don't mind doing parts of this because I recognize we're a team. But this summer, I didn't apply for the lead position, but no one else did either. So my principal just tapped me into it. And I accepted because I'm youngish and was afraid of looking like I didn't want to take on more. And I've been teaching the RTI classes since I started at this school. I just am afraid this will be how they always look at me. And I don't want to be stuck in this position forever. Do you want oh, to take man. a first crack at this? I think this is something where communication definitely comes into play and you have to say like, listen, I am so happy that you guys are looking to me for this, but I have to be really honest. I don't actually enjoy it. And, you know, maybe we can divide some of this up. I'd love to train somebody on this, somebody else who might be interested. That's always a good thing because you still look like a leader because you're offering to train people, but you're um you're offloading some of that work. But it's hard. I've definitely... I can't even remember what it what it is, but I've definitely been like – because I am nice and cheerful and friendly, I've gotten myself into these kind of predicaments where I end up doing work that I don't – I'm good at, but I don't like doing. What do you think?
0: I agree. I didn't hear this person say that they have told their superior – I don't know if that would be the principal or who it would be in this scenario, but I don't think it changes things. They say – um, this is not what I want to do. I'm happy to help and pitch in, but this is not something that I enjoy and it is not what I want for my career. And here is the vision that I have and how can we compromise to, you know, fill the holes that are needed because yeah, having a job means sometimes needing to do things that you don't want to do, and that doesn't matter if you work for yourself, if you work for somebody else. Every job's a different flavor of shit sandwich.
1: But have this conversation soon before you get even older and further along at it.
0: Absolutely. So have the conversation so that the person knows that how you feel. And then I think you can, if you need to be in this position because of resource constraints or because of hiring or, or, or whatever the case may be, they at least know that this isn't what you want to be doing. So they're not like, I don't know her name, um, Sarah is... Doing this thing, and we assume she loves it because she's good at it. So everyone's getting what they want. And so maybe instead, next time there's an opportunity that you do want, they recognize that you've been being a team player and helping out in this capacity that you don't want to. So they say, Wow, Sarah has really gone above and beyond taking one for the team. And so we're going to reward her with this other opportunity. So, not in a complaining way, but like make it be known that this isn't what you aspire to for yourself so that even if you have to be doing it in the interim, it's not just taken for granted that you are assumed that you want to be doing it. Yes. Don't be a brat about it, but, you know, clear communication. Yeah. Can we do one more? OK. OK. I think this one is really interesting. I have a lot to say about this. So I am 25 and have my degree in accounting and have worked in four jobs since graduating four years ago. I switch jobs when I get bored of them or want to try something more challenging, but I've come to the realization that I don't like the accounting and financial industry lifestyle and I hate nine to fives. I would really love to start a career in a more creative field, like blogging, writing, or starting fun Instagram pages. Everyone I know, friends and family, have all had the traditional 9 to 5, so I usually get eye rolls when telling them my idea or made to feel like I just want to be lazy and post pictures. But I know doing this type of work is hard, too. I'm unsure where to start, how to grow, and how to network. I don't have any contacts in that realm. Do you guys have any tips?"
1: Honestly, I would just start and do it while you're doing that nine to five that you don't necessarily like. Totally. I did my blog for five years before I left my day job. So it, I mean, back then it took longer because people weren't looking to spend money on influencers and um, blogs and all of that. But I think that you can start it at night and just see where it goes. And I think commenting on other Instagram pages And reaching out to as you build a smaller following, reaching out to other people who have that same amount of followers, like a couple thousand followers to do, I don't know, like content swaps or things or create an Instagram reel together or whatever that might be, finding ways to collaborate and just go for it it's scary but like for me I also dealt with my parents thinking I was extremely lazy for wanting to leave my day job they like didn't quite understand and I had to I didn't leave until I got to the point where my social media and my blog was earning more money than my day job was so I pointed them to the numbers and said well look like and this is how many hours I spend a day on this and this is the money I'm making from it and then they were like oh okay and like the second you're able to tell someone like I'm either you're making your spaghetti number which is that reference of like you're Making enough to like live and like eat like shitty spaghetti for dinner every night, or I've never heard that. You ever heard that number? Yeah, that was always like given to me, and like because I I knew that I wanted to eventually leave my day job to work for myself. And people were like, "Well, wait till you get to your spaghetti number." And I got to my spaghetti number, but then I didn't want to leave because I had equity at the company and wanted to like stay till it vested. Um, but everyone was like, get to your spaghetti number. So that's so
0: funny. I've never heard that
1: either. Wait till you are making enough from that thing. It does take time. Like I've said this so many times. I think people look at me and are like, oh, she's like has this life and this blog and the podcast and Instagram, it took me five years of working a day job and at my blog. And I worked like at at least 30 hours a week on my social media and blog stuff. You just have to put in the the time and the energy and the work and it is hard and people will shit all over it and make you feel like you're stupid and lazy. But like at the end of the day, like if you are able to make it work and you can be successful at it and you're good at it, your life will be so much happier.
0: I totally agree with everything you said. I think that was really good advice. But yeah, get to that
1: spaghetti. Like when you can back it up with the numbers, like yeah, people will respect that more.
0: I have a couple things to add. Yes, I would say I totally agree. It needs to be your side hustle before it can be your main hustle. Like you can't quit your job until you're making money, or not that you're going to prove everyone right, but you're just going to set yourself up to struggle. So there's no reason that you can't start fun Instagram pages or start a blog while you have a job. I mean, look at me for instance, like. We're paying to make rom com pods. Like it is not my full time job. I'm using money that I make for my consulting business to pay for that to make that a reality. So I think a lot of times having a creative hobby that you're really excited about can make having a job more tolerable because you feel like you're you have a reason.
1: Yeah, and you're kind of you're funding it. your passion.
0: Exactly, you're funding your passion. You, you have like a a vision. So maybe that'll make it a little bit easier. The other thing is, I would say take the people who are saying that you want to be lazy and use it as your fuel to prove them wrong.
1: Totally. I did. I felt like I got so much hate in the early days for my blog and and I just like kept working at it and Now they're like, how do I do social media? I'm like, "Mm."
0: yeah, like you're going to be in it for the long haul. I mean, it's not, you're not going to prove them wrong in six months, but you know, write that down. Use that. Exactly. The other thing I would say, and this is not just specific to this question, but about networking in general, I feel like there is a desire when networking to network with the most senior person who does not probably want to network with you. Totally. So who's the biggest blogger? I don't know. Like something maybe? I don't know.
1: Something maybe doesn't want to hear from me.
0: Totally. Well. So that's the thing. So the biggest person doesn't want to hear from you. Do not try to network with the biggest person. I mean, maybe try and know that you're not going to hear back. And maybe you get lucky and they're really nice. Like maybe you went to the same college or maybe you have some connection and that makes maybe you're from the same hometown. I don't know. Try it. But I would say network with people who are your peers. So other people who are just starting out and learn from each other are people who are one step ahead of you. Yes. So if you have... 5,000 followers? Find someone with seven. Yes. And, and talk to them about how did you get slightly further ahead than I am? And those are going to be people who are on the journey with you. Um, Presumably, some or all of them will get to a point where they eventually have succeeded and then they will be the big people too. And so you'll have grown along with them. You're not going to be like this person who looks like they're asking for something. Totally. And I'm speaking to my own experience in marketing, not to being a blogger or an influencer, but I think it works across all places. And I hear from a lot of young people. I'll get emails sometimes or DMs. And it's like, I want to know how you got where you are. And it's somebody who's like 19. And yeah, that's cool. But it's like, don't network with The highest person, network with somebody who's one step ahead of you, who's gonna be way more willing to help you. I love that.
1: I mean, I think back to the early days of blogging. Like I remember I went to Lucky Fab. It was this blogger conference, and I met Crystal Bick, who was at Google at the time, Helena Glazer, who was working in like a fashion showroom or something. Um, there was like a whole Alicia Lund who what was her day job? She was she had like a boring day job and then she was a right became a writer for Elle for a while. But all of those people, we were all kind of at that same level and became – we all like helped each other out and talked about each other on our Instagrams and stuff and like did little projects together. But we all are also friends. Like I made some of my closest friends in the industry from doing those kind of things.
0: Yeah. So that's what we have for you on the career side today. I but hope this was helpful and I hope you enjoyed it. We have we- at least – another episode that's just as long worth of content that we're going to do in two weeks. We have COVID questions. We have more general questions. And I really hope you'll write to us with your meaty career scenarios. And we'll hopefully do some more of those too. Yes. That on podcast at gmail.com.
1: Yes. Send us your questions. It's going to be a great episode.
0: But Grace, shall shall we get into end matter? Yes. Instagram obsessions. Okay. So mine is an account called stay underscore snatched. So this got recommended to me by somebody who follows me on Instagram, and I talked about the air fryer. Somebody asked me in a Q&A about whether I still use my air fryer, and the answer is yes. But I was saying a lot of the recipes are really complicated, and so I tend to just make vegetables or simple things rather than – anytime you look up an air fryer recipe, it involves breading things, and it involves way too many dishes. So somebody recommended this account and it's a food account and specifically like uh healthy hacks, but she has great air fryer recipes. and so I've already saved a bunch of things. I haven't made anything yet, but i'm I've saved a bunch of things that I'm really excited to make.
1: Fun. I'm gonna follow that because i have I love my air fryer, but I pretty much just make either chicken nuggets or um vegetables or yeah. bagel balls,
0: yeah. Okay, what
1: about you? What's yours? Okay, so mine came through somebody I think we both follow. She's a writer for Apartment Therapy. Her name's Sarah Lyon. Sarah, L-Y-O-N-9. She has a gorgeous apartment. Um, We are always trading messages about different like rattan pieces and cane furniture and the H&M boxes that I cannot seem to find. But she did a piece on an account called Sauve Home. It's spelled S-O-V-E, home. And she is a DIYer. She does affordable furniture hacks and has a pretty small rental apartment that she's made so gorgeous. So her kitchen was featured on Apartment Therapy and she made it look so nice. She put down marble contact paper all over the counters. She like swapped out. A bunch of different things underneath her bar. She, in, rather than putting stools, she added these caned cabinets so that she had more storage. I just thought the whole thing was so clever. It's like home content that's gorgeous but also super relatable because I feel like I follow all these really aspirational accounts and like I'm constantly like when I have my house and I renovate it and make it amazing, I'm going to do these 10 things. But this is like actually renter friendly, accessible stuff. And I thought it was it just so well done. She put in her own backsplash, like refreshed the cabinets. It's it's fantastic.
0: Oh, I love this. Yeah. She's based I, in Philly. I also love I feel like Hyatt Rita Um, who we've talked about before, has done a ton of um, DIY stuff to her rental apartment too. Yeah. Yeah. I always appreciate seeing that because I agree with you.
1: Yeah. I think you can do so much with a rental. Like We both rent and we've both made our apartments our own. So I love seeing that from other people. Totally. I'm obsessed with her apartment.
0: All right. What about on the non-Instagram obsession front?
1: Non-Instagram obsession. I – Treated myself to new linen bedding from Parachute, and I slept. It. I had to wash it, and I slept in it last night for the first time, and it's so nice. I so I've wanted linen bedding, and the journey really started when I stayed with my friend Taylor for my friend's birthday party in Charleston like two or three years ago, and she had the parachute bedding. And then I was reminded of how much I wanted it when I stayed at that B and B in the Hamptons like a few weeks ago. And I literally took the duvet and the pillowcase off and it was from this brand that is sold at Target, but it was all sold out at Target. And I was like, you know what, Grace? You know you love the parachute. It's expensive, but like, why not? And so I bought a duvet, a fitted sheet. I do not use flat sheets. I hate them. And um, a set of pillowcases and I slept in it last night and it's so nice. It's much nicer actually than the the bedding at the B&B. So I'm glad that I took the plunge. But you know, when you like – like it's been like a few years. Like I slept in this in this comfy white linen bed at Taylor's house and I loved it so much and I remember like asking her about the bedding and being like, "Oh, I really want it." But like I have a king-size bed, so it wasn't cheap to buy the bedding. And I also have a lot of bedding already, but I'm so glad I did it. I think your bed is just like your happy place and should be amazing. And I love my I love it so much.
0: I have two follow-ups there. One, I'm going to feel your sheets on the way out and I'm sorry if that's creepy.
1: I feel them. They're amazing. Two, You should get in the bed, though, because you have
0: to feel it, like, cocoon around you.
1: Like, it's kind of heavy, but, like, it's still really breathable. Okay. I got in last night, and, like, I've only slept in them once. So if you get in my bed, it's clean.
0: I'm not going to get in your bed, but I'm going to feel them. Oh, it's so nice. (laughs) But... Um, I didn't realize until the other, until last weekend when you were texting that you also don't like top sheets. I hate top sheets. They just get tangled and they're unnecessary. I agree. I fully agree. And when Alex was texting back and she's like, you heathens. And I was like, no.
1: So I will caveat that I always used a top sheet until I got the Buffy comforter because the Buffy comforter is really light and it's really breathable. So before I would often get really hot with my blanket or my um duvet and I would need to take it off in the middle of the night and then I'd liked having a top sheet to have like that something cover. Having something cover you but still being cool. But that comforter is amazing.
0: I also have the Buffy Comforter. Yeah. But I I am very all about the no top sheet life. Yes, no top sheets. Yeah. Uh uh. So mine is um I just got new wine glasses. My aunt got me them for my birthday. I told her her to get you wine glasses, remember? (laughs) I didn't want those. (laughs) She also probably looked at those and were like, I'm sorry, those are how much? But anyway. She asked for ideas. I know. I know. Grace sent her Zalto wine glasses, which are like $80 a glass. No, they're $60. But still, Still, I know. So anyway, um, I uh, tend to use stemless wine glasses at home because I am a notorious wine glass breaker. I do not break them while drinking. I break them while washing. I have oh, such a bad track record breaking glassware while washing it. I'm right. apparently an aggressive washer.
1: I used to break mine until I got the Zaltas, and I think I'm I just treat them like such precious cargo. I'm coming up on a year with mine because it started with James got me two for my birthday, and I liked them so much that I bought four more.
0: So I have stemmed wine glasses for company or for nice things, but I have the the stemless ones I have are, are crappy. And I wanted prettier ones. So I got these really beautiful ones from West Elm that have um, a go- like a thin gold rim. And I think they just look so much nicer than regular stemless wine glasses. So they feel a little bit special, even though they were not terribly expensive.
1: Oh, they're so pretty. I'm on there right now yeah. looking
0: at them. Those yeah, are gorgeous. I really like them. So I'm excited about my new everyday wine glasses that I will not break while washing. I yeah. feel like my um, sink has a low clearance. So I hit it on the um, faucet and then it breaks.
1: I would like some everyday wine glasses, but I don't have room in my cabinet. Mm. So what I do when I just have friends over is I just put wine in tumblers if we're like sitting outside. Yeah. Because I don't want to bring the Zaltos outside. I mean, sometimes I do. We had them. We had spritzes in them the other night. That's true. But generally speaking, I yeah, I wish I had more cabinet space because I would totally get those to have as everyday wine glasses. Yeah.
0: I think they're really cute. Yeah. What about reading?
1: Okay, reading. Um, This week I read. Okay, I talked about this last week on my blog. Last week I published everything I read this month. I read a book called Follow Me by Kathleen Barber, it's a twisty thriller. And so many people were like, you need to read this. It's about an influencer who gets stalked. And it is creepy. She did so much research about like online forums and like the way that men can like or like anyone, I guess, that's a creep can like access your com- computer remotely by putting spyware on it and then turn your camera on and off to watch you, which was so creepy. Like that part was so well researched. But this woman needs to take a page from Jennifer Weiner or Kate Stamen London's book and learn about what influencers are actually like because the character she wrote was so vapid, so annoying. I like hated the main character and almost rooted for her to die, but also hated the author for writing such a um one-dimensional look at what an influencer is like because I feel like it just fed into the stereotype that we're all a bunch of like um stupid annoying assholes. Also she had over a million followers and was struggling financially and had a day job and I was like, "Oh no, girl. Like someone with a million followers is making like a lot of money." So I just like couldn't get past the influencer character and I kind of hated this book. But I did think it was twisty and thrilling and kept me on my toes. But I was just really pissed off by the book overall. The next one that I read is you guys know I'm on a constant mission to find more light thrillers by black women and this one just came out. It's called When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. It is set in Brooklyn It is fantastic so far. What I find interesting is I looked up Alyssa Cole and she's actually written a lot of romances too. So I feel like it's cool that she can kind of float between genres. Very cool. But I'm only 25% through. So I don't have a formal opinion, but I can tell you it's excellent so far. It's really well written. It's really smart. Love that it's in Brooklyn. It's about a neighborhood that um, is in the process of being gentrified and like the dynamics between the... um, the white people that are moving in and buying these houses and the black people that have been there for a long time.
0: Interesting. I yeah. want to hear the final review and maybe borrow it depending on if yeah. it's positive.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think that I'm going to read more or less a Cole books in the future. Okay. How about you?
0: So I am reading a book called Kings County by David Goodwillie. Wait, can we tell this story? I don't know. Can we? Yes. Okay. So... Goodwillie is definitely a
1: name that you remember. Like it's just stands out. It's funny. I I remember that our friend Alex had gone on like three dates with a guy called David Goodwillie just because you remember that name. And he was a writer and he ghosted her. Um, He was on a writer's retreat and we were just like, oh, he sucks. It's sad that he died. And then (laughs) more recently, Becca was I was looking at the podcast outline. I think it was last night. And I was like. Becca, wait, Alex, wait, Alex, I think you dated the author of this book that Becca's reading. And we put two and two together, and it turns out that he... Didn't actually die. I mean, we say that men die when they ghost us. It's just like yeah. a thing we say.
0: It's the vernacular. Yeah.
1: So he didn't. So he didn't die. He's alive and well. He just people are ghosted so our friend. I know. Sorry if that's confusing. I don't want anyone to think anyone actually died. It's just like an no, expression. But it's used. like something
0: that you and I would say, like in yeah. a conversation, and like never have to explain. But like now that somebody's listening, it's like no, no he didn't. Nobody really died. died. <laughs>
1: nobody died. But when men ghost us, it's easier to accept that, that they just died. It's a freak accident. Versus it's very didn't sad. Like us. It's very sad.
0: So, despite this man ghosting our friend Alex, which I didn't know when I started the book, but now I really like it, so I'm going to read it anyway. Um, it's uh, about Williamsburg in the early 2010s. It's specifically about the music scene. Um, oh, like I want to read music this. scene. And I'm enjoying it so much. It kind of feels a little bit like a sweet bitter for indie music. Oh. But um, it is specifically very nostalgic for the recent past that I lived through. So it, it takes place in 2011, 2012. So I moved to New York in 2012. And the places that they're going for brunch and the, I don't know, just everything about it feels nostalgic for recent history. And I'm really into it. Oh,
1: I want to read that. But I hate him. Um, he ghosted our friend. We can't like him. We can like his I'm book.
0: sorry. Yeah. I'm going to read the book. I'm enjoying it. No, um, I want to read it too. So I'm only about a third of the way through, but I'm excited about it. If you need another book that is not by somebody who ghosted our friend, which I get, (laughs) we suggest our September book club pick, which is Majesty by Catherine McGee. So it's the second book. It's the sequel to American Royals. And the premise is, what if the United States had a royal family instead of a president? And it's set in the present day, and the descendants of George Washington are the kings and queens and princes and princesses of the United States. It's a very different United States, and it deals with the younger generation who are all in their late teens and early 20s and are kind of coming into their roles in the monarchy. And it is very rich, unsupervised teens. I mean, who's more rich and unsupervised than royalty?
1: It's the best. Read it. It's like the perfect... I think these books are the perfect, like, COVID quarantine books. Totally. Like, I had no sad books in August. I think I might keep with that in September. It just makes you happy. It's so fun.
0: So good. So, pick that up. We're going to be discussing it the last week of September.
1: And if you need a refresher for the book, because I know a lot of you read American Royals last time, American Royals was our past podcast pick. So, listening to that episode is a great way to get caught up on the characters without, um, Ooh, what a good plug. Um no, well, this actually came up on my Instagram the other night. Like a lot of people were like, "I want to read it, but I can't remember what happened in American Royals." I'm like, "Listen to the podcast episode. So listen to that and then read Majesty, or if you really want, just read them both. Like what else do you have to do right now?" Seriously. Um and we are we're going to ask Katie to come back on um to do the book club with us.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. She hasn't
1: said yes yet, but I think she will.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh outside of that, if you would like more of us, join our Facebook group where we're always talking about books and current events and a little bit of everything. Follow us on Instagram at bat on Send us your career questions to badonpaperpodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at Becca M Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace
1: Atwood. My blog is thestripe.com. I post there every single day except Sundays. <laughs>
0: Well, I think we gave you enough calls to action. So yes. go do one or many of those. Yeah. Follow
1: my cat, Sirian Puff. Don't follow him. Well, follow him if you like cats. OK. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>